whether in the media, our government, or our schools, Christianity faces tremendous intellectual persecution. This program stands on the intellectual front lines. With disarming honesty, we engage the most difficult issues facing Christians today. I want to welcome you to Theology Unplugged, the radio outreach of Credo House Ministries in Edmond, Oklahoma. We sit down over lattes at the Credo House coffee shop and just talk theology. I'm Michael Patton, president of Credo House Ministries. I'll be leading the discussion along with Tim Kimberly, director of ministries for Frontline Church Edmond, Sam Storms, lead pastor of Bridgeway Church, and finally J.J. Side, pastor of community and discipleship at Bridgeway Church. Tithe. Let's talk about uh, tithing. Uh, problem passages? Is this a problem? This isn't a problem, is it? Oh, yeah, it's a huge problem. Nobody, nobody, except for Baptists, right? Well, no, it's a huge challenge, and that is the question, does the Bible mandate or require a specific percentage of your income be given to the local church or to Christian ministry? That is a massive issue among Christians and in churches today. Sam, J.J., this is uh, something that is hotly debated in a lot of passions uh, that our audience will be aware of because they've probably uh, asked the questions themselves and seen the passions that arise. But uh, aren't there, whenever we're talking about this being an issue or, or in our series of problem passages or problem topics, um, there are people that would believe that 10% is a very definite uh, place to go for people whenever we're talking about give, giving, and then what would be the alternative position uh, that is found within the evangelical circles? Well, I think you'd probably call it proportionate giving instead of percentage giving. Hmm. Um, you give proportionate to your income as the Lord has led you. You know, Paul says in Second Corinthians 9, let each give uh, as he has determined in his own heart because God loves a cheerful giver. So, you know, the question here, we're not, let's make it real clear right up front. We're not talking about giving. We're not talking about whether Christians are to be generous and sacrificial. We're not questioning whether or not believers are uh, encouraged in, uh, to, uh, to sow richly into the work of the ministry. We all believe that. The question is, is there a specific mandate for a specific percentage? Because there are a lot of believers who would elevate this issue to a primary doctrine, and they would say that um, if you're not giving precisely 10% or perhaps even more, you're stealing from God and you're uh, setting yourself up for some serious discipline. Well, now, and that's I, coming from Malachi 3 where God says to the Jews, you're not bringing your mandated tithes in as the Old Testament people of God, and he says, you're robbing me. I think maybe for you, Sam, this might be a question uh, that, that is a good question, and a, a, maybe it's difficult for you to answer, but we're unplugged. Um, it, sometimes it may get tempting. I mean, I, I look at some of the statistics that are out there and see what is going on in the world of giving in general, mm -hmm. and you see it lower and lower every single year, um, much lower than 10%. I mean, we're talking... Uh, the two percent or two point eight percent. Two point eight percent is the, uh, um, the the surveys have determined that that's typically what evangelicals give to the to the ministry of the local church. Well, I don't even know your position on this, Sam. But is it tempting to grab a hold of this tithe, this ten percent, and say, "Listen, people are only giving this much at our church, and let's at least talk about ten percent." Oh, l let me let me be perfectly clear. As a pastor of a local church. 
if our people gave 5%, mm-hmm. we would never have a single concern. We would never have a financial crisis. We would never be in need. Uh, if people gave 10%, it would be overly abundant, and uh, what we would be able to do would just simply be unimaginable. Um, now, let me just go on record. I'm just confessing here. Uh, my wife and I give at least 10%, but we don't do it because that's mandated in Scripture. We do it because it's a good standard. We feel like it's the floor, not the ceiling in terms mm-hmm. of our giving, but I can't impose that on others. I think there are, there are Christians, in, for example, in our church, and this is true of any any local body of believers, there are Christians there who probably need to give considerably less than 10%. They are in a situation in life in which um, 5 4 3% is really sacrificial given the nature of their uh, financial condition. There are others in our church who could easily give 40 or 50% and never feel the pinch. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so there's, a, there's a wide spectrum here of, um, of, of what people... Um, are able to do, uh, what they are inclined to do, what in a sense, and I kind of put this in quotes, what they should do. But again, I keep coming back to that statement of Paul that each is to give as he has determined in his own heart. If there were a mandate of a specific percentage, I don't know how he could say that. This is something whenever I, um, uh, every time you talk about giving, it's it's a touchy subject in the church. Mm-hmm. Because people are automatically thinking, oh, they're trying to get me to give or uh, don't push me on this because it's too personal type thing. Um, I've got somebody in mind, not going to name them, but anytime this subject is brought up, no matter what, no matter how tender you are with it, no matter how much you preface it, he will get up and walk right out of the church. Because he says, I mean, in his mind, that's what the church is about. And once you begin to talk about it, now you've shown your true colors. You're, you're really just trying to get money. And, we, we, and in some cases, uh, of course, uh, we would say that the church has maybe made its bed or there's a lot of people out there that do represent such a, a greedy mentality. And so whenever they're talking about giving in 10% or whatever uh, percentage they, they may talk about, it is uh, based upon a worldly mentality uh, to to get, and so it's it's understandable for our listeners whenever they hear this stuff to sometimes back off. But it's a very important part of the Christian life as yeah. well yeah, in let, general. Let's make no mistake: we shouldn't apologize for talking about money in the local church. The Bible talks about it all the time; it's everywhere. And I think, and I have to confess, over the years of my ministry, I have been reluctant to bring up the issue, largely because I don't want to be identified with the uh, prosperity gospel and those who are out there uh, trying to um, gain a big enough offering they can increase their their salary or uh, you know buy the new car. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's a fear, a hesitation in a lot of people about whether the issue should even be brought up, but. And the prosperity gospel, that's not something that's just kind of small out there that is no big deal. I mean, that's a very prominent and, and I think, destructive thing within the church. Well, let's think about it this way. Um, If if I knew that uh, there there were individuals uh, in, in my congregation who were living in outright sexual rebellion, just immorality rampant, or if I knew that there were some um, who were, uh, um, um, gosh, what is lying consistently, just constantly gossiping, 
nobody would think twice of me if I addressed those issues from up front or if I went to them personally and said, look, I'm going to call you to biblical accountability on these issues. But for some reason, when we hear that people are um, incredibly stingy and closed to the concept of giving and they are not being generous and sacrificial with their wealth, for some reason we think that's off limits. Mm. We can't touch that. We can't talk about financial stewardship in the local body, but we can talk about sexual stewardship or verbal stewardship or whatever else. But some, for some reason, we've kind of uh, isolated this issue of, of our finances and money and put it over here in a don't touch, don't talk category. And I think that's very sad. And I think the church has suffered because of it. I, I agree with you, Sam. And just to get a little bit personal, I, I've realized when I'm shying away from discipling that area of a person's life, I'm, I'm eager and quick to talk to young men about purity, and I'm eager and quick to talk to young men about controlling their tempers. Um, but, but why am I not eager to disciple them in terms of their finances? And I realize for me personally, oftentimes it's because I'm not functionally believing in the idea of storing up treasure in heaven. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't feel so guilty seeking to encourage them towards generosity um, if, if I was vibrantly believing that I'm helping them, that I'm helping them achieve happiness, that I'm helping them actually invest in something that can't be taken away from them. One theological issue that I I often at least think in my own mind with this issue is that uh, God God doesn't really ultimately need us or our money. I mean, he he addresses this with Israel many times uh, in Psalm chapter 50, where he says, I own everything. Everything is mine. And I I am self-sufficient in who I am. And I am not up here saying, oh, my gosh, I just wish I could accomplish my mission and my goals. And, you know, I'm so dependent upon other people for this. God, God is not, and that is that is one of the prefaces whenever he asks us to join in with him on his mission and, and says, I want you to join in and to, uh, and, and to partake in this way of the, the plan that I have, the, the uh, redemption that I am bringing about. And one of the great ways that you can do that, and I offer to you, is to invest this way. Yeah. And, it's all, and let's be real clear about one thing. I don't want any of our listeners to get the idea that if they're giving sacrificially 10% to, to the, their local church that they should stop. We're not suggesting that at all. I think that's great. But I think you need to evaluate your own heart and your own motivation. If you're not doing it joyfully, cheerfully, rather than as if somehow God has imposed an ecclesiological income tax on you, mm-hmm. uh, then you need to reassess your approach to this particular issue. Now, maybe let's think about the, what, the, what does the biblical text say? Um, why do some Christians, and let me be real clear, I was raised in the Southern Baptist context. I was in the Southern Baptist churches for the first 22 years of my life. And There's nothing official in Southern Baptist context about this. It's more cultural, right? Right, but you will, you'll typically find Southern Baptist churches are very strong on the, con- on the principle of the tithe, although there are a number. Uh, 10%. Of, yeah, of 10%. Uh, and the question is, where does that come from? Yeah. Well, it comes from the Old Testament. Uh, For example, uh, the first reference we have is in Genesis chapter 14, and it involves Abraham and Melchizedek. And uh, let me just read this. Melchizedek, king of Salem, this is beginning with verse 18, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. Well, we're already in trouble. He brought out bread and wine, so a lot of our (laughs) listeners just kind of tuned us out there. 
Um, and, he, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram my, by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And then we read this. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And so people say, there it is. There's the biblical precedent. There's the first example of giving a tenth of everything. Well, couple no, of, not only that, they would say it's outside before the law. Yeah, right. It's pre-Mosaic. But let's remember a couple of things. First of all, Abram is giving him a tenth of the spoils of war. Hmm. There's nothing here to indicate that he's giving him a tenth of his annual income. Second, He's tithing to Melchizedek, another human being. I know some people think maybe Melchizedek was a human. I believe clearly he was. He's not, Abraham is not tithing to God. Um, he's tithing to another human. It's a purely horizontal indication, uh, ex, uh, expression. And then furthermore, there's no mandate that flows out of this passage. And in other words, it doesn't say, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything, and thou shalt go and do likewise. Mm-hmm. So... I would be very hard-pressed to draw from the experience of Abraham a, a biblical precedent that is binding upon the conscience of Christians under the New Covenant. Yeah. And then, of course, in the Mosaic Law, um, this might come as a shock to many, but my reading of, of, of the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy is that there was actually a tithe uh, approaching 21% mm. that was imposed upon the people of Israel. Not just 10, there were actually three tithes uh, that were required. So if you're going to say, well, we're going to look to the Old Testament as our guidance and our standard, you're going to be committing yourself to far more than just 10% of your annual income. Yeah, yeah. And it has to do in the Old Testament with not only setting it aside for the priest, but also kind of for the, the functioning of the culture and the way in which the festivals and everything worked and the government. Right. Because the tithe in, in, in Old Covenant uh, Israel was very much like an income tax. This was a theocratic nation, and the tithe was designed to sustain and support and uh, provide for the continuing um, system that God had instituted through Moses. Theocratic being uh, that God is the government. Yes, yes. Um, okay, so let me let me ask something else because this is probably the passage that I see referenced more than any other whenever it comes to just giving in the Old Testament and giving in general and maybe this doesn't have specifically to do with the tithe and whether it's 10% or not but it's in Malachi 3:10 it says uh, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord, if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out for you the blessing until it overflows. This is often used as the kind of inspiration for uh, people to to give, and it's probably the most referenced passage uh, from preachers whenever they are preaching on the subject. Talk to, me, to, talk to me, guys, about this verse. Well, it's really problematic to take this mandate given to this theocratic nation this old covenant people prior to the cross, prior to the formation of the New Testament church and lay it over uh, us because what you do is you take something that in the New Testament is a because therefore, because uh, Christ was made poor even though he was rich, you by his poverty might become rich. I want you to take that reality about him emptying himself and I want it to even inform your pocketbooks, Paul says in Second Corinthians 8. And then here in Malachi you have a 
if you do this, then this will happen to you. You know, it's a completely different way of thinking about God transacting with us. Sam, do you think this is something that we can uh, use as... Well, certainly, uh, you know, it's, it's very similar to how we read the rest of the Old Covenant Scriptures. We have to acknowledge, as J.J. just said, that we're t- that God established a theocratic community, gave them a specific covenant with laws designed to govern their behavior until the coming of the Messiah. We need always to be careful before we superimpose on the New Covenant Church Old Covenant laws given to Israel. Now, that doesn't mean we can't learn from them. Boy, we can learn a lot. And we learn something there in that passage. And I think you see the principle of that passage repeated in 2 Corinthians 9. So, you know, God is in essence saying, look, if you all will obey the mandate to give the percentage that I have required, you're going to see that I'm going to abundantly bless you. Well, we see this principle in the New Testament. Now, this might shock a few people, but the fact of the matter is God does say that if you will sow generously, you will reap greatly. Let me just read it. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. The point is this, Paul writes, whoever sows sparingly, and he's talking about giving when he talks about sowing, will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So, Somebody saying, aha, there's the prosperity gospel sneaking its way in. Give more to get more. Well, yes and no. No uh, in the sense that it's not reaping in order to uh, move from a three-bedroom home to a mansion uh, down the road. But notice what he says in verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. Hmm. It's interesting how we put a period after multiply your seed. Oh, great. God's going to multiply my my money. I'm going to give. My savings account. Right. And uh, suddenly I'm going to see just an incredible increase in my salary. No, God will bless you for sowing bountifully, but it's in order that you can continue to sow. And then he says, verse 11, you will be enriched in every way. Now, if we stopped there, we put a period there we'd have a real issue. But listen to what he says. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So does God say that if you are generous and sacrificial and you sow bountifully, that you will receive from God bountifully? And the answer is yes, but for what purpose? And the purpose is to enable us to be even more generous in our giving, to be to sow even greater the next time around. And well, I you think, say, uh, go ahead, Michael. Well, I, I was going to go off what you said earlier, and I, I think that I would also think that the 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 reaping has to do with the the joy that you receive, the the satisfaction that you receive, um, and not so much uh, you know becoming rich because uh, there, there's a lot of idea of people in the New Testament that are obedient, that are poor, uh, including Paul himself sometimes. But um, it is it is something that we would say it's, I mean, in Acts uh, chapter 20, verse 35, it says, even he himself has said it is better to give than receive, or it is a better blessing to give than receive. Oh, by the way, I, I was, I was uh, this was just a few days ago, and I, I was looking up uh, some stuff on depression and uh, practical ways for people to come out of depression. And this was from a secular source. And it said it talked about giving uh, as a source of coming out of depression. 
This was a secular source, and it said, I don't know where they came up with these numbers, but I kid you not. They said that giving uh, $10 is equivalent in the, the satisfaction received, our studies say, however they say it, as to receiving $1,000. And so they, they basically said, get out there and give in order to overcome some of your depression. Well, I just, just if I can piggyback on that, uh, I won't mention his name, but a very prominent American pastor recently preached a message that's everywhere in the social media now where he said, basically, if you don't give 10%, you're opening yourself up to a demonic invasion. Hmm. Wow. I think we need to be careful here. I, I don't know if you would agree with this, but in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, that's this litmus test for what New Testament generosity looks like. You know, Paul's reassuring us, hey, this is going to work. You're not going to give yourself into the poorhouse. You know, right. if you're generous, God's going to take care of you. Um, uh, you know, this is not irresponsible for you to grow in generosity. Don't be afraid of that. And But yet I still think that there's this miserliness in the human heart. I know it's in mine that that's not enough just to sort of kick the tires and tell people, hey, this works. You know, if you take God's word and mm -hmm. do it his way, it'll mm -hmm. work. You know, it's interesting that, again, he starts in, in 2 Corinthians 8 with melting their hearts with the beauty of Christ's sacrifice. He says, I want you to think about his generosity in this man, in this God-man. He was rich. He was seated at the right hand of the Father. And now he's made himself poor for your sakes. And I think he starts by melting their hearts with the gospel. And then he moves on to reassure them, hey, this really works if you try it. Sam, let me, let me see if you can take this from a, from a pastoral way. What if I was to say... Okay, everybody, I want you to set up your bank accounts. You know, we've got all these new ways to pay bills and automatic withdrawals and, and such as that. Um, I want you to set up all your bank accounts and and set it up to where you're given 10% or more um, and don't think about it again um, and, and just let it go mm -hmm. from now on. Um, would you say that that would take away from some of the the personality or the spontaneity, the spontaneity, the not necessarily the thoughtfulness of it as yeah. well, because I mean, every time you do it, it's like, Oh yeah, I forgot. I, I gave, I would, I would say that probably a third of the people at our church give automatically in that way. There's a set amount, but we would always encourage them pray over this, uh, meditate, ask God what he would have you to do. Look at how he has blessed you and give proportionately. And then in six months, sit down and reevaluate. Mm -hmm. And it may be that you need to re bring it back a little. It may need that you need to expand it considerably. So I don't think that it necessarily, I don't think the manner or the means, or if we could say the financial mechanism of giving ought to have any effect on the human heart because that is simply a, a way in which the heart expresses itself in generosity. So um, we'll get back to then and, and conclude with this, get back to what it means to give joyfully in whenever you're talking Paul to the Corinthians. Well, I think it, 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 it I'm going to go back to what JJ said. It's in the recognition of what Christ has done for us, the magnitude of his sacrifice if when we realize that, when we think the multitude of blessings we have through him and his self-giving, the joy that that generates in the human heart, the delight, the excitement, not only in the giving, but into think about, thinking about what God's going to do with the giving, what he's going to accomplish in terms of ministry and changing lives as a result of it. I think that's at the very heart of this joyful giving. We've got a lot of ways for you to connect with Credo House. Uh, not only do we want you to email us and connect through our email, giving us your thoughts at theologyunplugged at credohouse.org, we want you to go to our website and check out the hundreds of videos that we have, 
the huge blog we have with all kinds of articles. And also, we've got a little special thing that we want to offer you. If you go to our site and check out our store and see all of the theological resources that we have, because you're a listener of Theology Unplugged, we've got a coupon code for you that will give you 10% off. At checkout, type in Theology Unplugged. We hope you will join with us and join the conversation on our website. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast. Theology Unplugged is a listener-supported ministry of the Credo House, a theological hub and coffee shop located at 109 Northwest 142nd Street in Edmond, Oklahoma. For more information on the Credo House or to support the ongoing work of its theological ministry, please visit www.credohouse.org.